Like with many other industries, the maritime industry is also going through digital transformation. Emerging technologies can help maritime organizations capture greater efficiency in operations, especially in the context of modern-day problems, such as increasing demand or even the COVID-19 pandemic. Digitalization could be the key to future business success. However, how are ports evolving to adapt to these emerging technologies? And what is the blueprint to success for goods mobility in these volatile times? Today, we discuss the future of goods mobility and the huge role technology will play. Hi everyone, welcome to another edition of our Future Mobility series, bringing you the top voices from the sector. Decision makers, innovators and shapers pushing the envelope on future ideas for transportation and beyond. I'm your host, Deshraf, and today we're joined by Kenneth Lim, Chief Technology Officer of the Maritime and Port Authority of Singapore, and Don Lim, Vice President and Head of Commercial and Professional Services at the Singapore Economic Development Board. Kenneth and Don, thank you for joining us today. Thanks, Deshraf, for having thank us. Thank you. Now, Don, I want to start off with you. For our overseas listeners who might not be too familiar, can you tell us more about EDB and its vision for Singapore, as well as your role in it? Uh, sure, thanks Ishara for that introduction. So very quickly, the EDB or the Singapore Economic Development Board, um, we're actually a government agency responsible for driving Singapore's economic growth. And we work hand in hand with the private sector, with the regulators, universities, think tanks, and the broader ecosystem to develop strategies to enhance Singapore's status as a key hub for global business innovation, um, and as well as the place for talent to situate themselves and to grow. And our mission really is to create that long-term sustainable economic growth for the country with vibrant business opportunities and good job opportunities for the people in Singapore and the people who choose to be based in Singapore. And how we work with companies is a few ways. One, we try to be that one-stop shop, right? That interface to navigate different parts of the Singapore ecosystem. If you're a business interested to establish yourself uh, in Singapore, right? Across a few key industries that Singapore believes we have the global advantage in. We also work with our partners to develop the strategies for the company's growth and transformation, whether it's in the region, whether it's globally, whether it's in specific functions or business activities and expertise. And Kenneth, as the driving force behind Singapore's port and maritime development and in your capacity as the CTO of MPA, how has the maritime industry evolved and can you share expansion plans going into the next decade? Thank you. Let me start off by saying that, well, Singapore's port actually is located at the crossroad of the east-west trade route. And therefore, Singapore is a maritime gateway to the region and a key node in the global supply chain. As a global hub port and a major transshipment hub, we are connected to more than 600 ports in over 120 countries. You can imagine that mass connectivity there. We are also a leading international maritime center, which is a home to over 100 
40 of the world top international shipping groups. So you can see the richness of our maritime center. For seven consecutive years, Singapore maintains our position as the most important shipping hub in the Asia-Pacific region. Ranking first with our advantage of geographical location and also a strong shipping industry ecosystem and supportive government policies. And I think this is really um, accomplished through three factors, trust, transformation, and talent. Trust, well, there is a reputation that we build over time. We keep remaking ourselves and we keep transforming ourselves, right? So that gains the trust of our shipping colleagues who come to Singapore to establish or transacting through Singapore. Transformation. While we constantly push for digital transformation in the industry to attain higher productivity, improvement in process, optimization, automation, and our workforce can now take on higher skilled jobs. In fact, talent, the third piece, is an important one because we continuously have this pipeline of future and ready talent to push industry forward, and we continue to build on that. So in Singapore, as you may know, in 2018, we launched our Sea Transport Industry Transformation Map, ITM in short. That is really a blueprint to chart the maritime Singapore into the next phase of development because you are asking me about what is the development plan. So this ITM is the chart, is the roadmap where we use, where we will work with the industry stakeholders to drive innovation, productivity, and equip our maritime workforce with the necessary skills to take on a higher value job in the future. In particular, digitalization plays an important role in this transformation journey. In June this year, you may know that we launched the Maritime Digitalization Playbook. This is jointly developed with the Infocom Media Development Authority of Singapore, IMDA, our Singapore Shipping Association, SSA, to support our maritime companies who is based in Singapore in accelerating their digitalization plan. How do we do it? We provide them with a practical toolkit to formulate their digitalization roadmap, guide the execution of their digital plan, and enable them to benefit from the maritime digital platform. So today, you know, some of the opportunity in digitalization for port sectors include like AGVs, autonomous prime movers, automated cranes, and in shipping sectors are like 3D printing for ship parts and data analytics. So lastly, I may say that moving forward, we need to continue to invest in our capabilities, both at Hardport and IMC, so that these complementary twin engines of growth will future-proof Singapore. And kind of circling back to the point that you mentioned earlier, we understand that in terms of future planning, MPA intends to consolidate all container ports into one smart megaport at Tuas from 2021 onwards. So can you elaborate more about the vision and the benefits of this smart port at Tuas? Well, really, the first thing, the first point I want to make is that this development of the next generation Tuas port is actually a reflection of government's long-term commitment to growing Singapore's maritime sector. Well, currently our container terminals are located at the fringes of the city center 
And the plan was announced in 2012 to move and consolidate the container port operation in Tuas, which is the western end of Singapore. The vision is really to build a smart next-generation port that increases productivity, optimizes the land use, and improves safety and security and enhances sustainability. So this consolidation of container port activities at Tuas will help us to achieve greater economy of scales and reduce inter-terminal haulage of containers because of the consolidation, you see. This helps container liners and cargo owners to save time and reduce operating costs. Now, when fully completed by the 2040s, Passport will become the world's largest container terminal at a single location, capable of handling up to 65 million TUs of cargo containers annually. Passport will also be at the heart of a larger ecosystem comprising complementary industries such as logistics and advanced manufacturing. This will enable Singapore to be more than just a container port, but a global port serving both shippers and shipping companies. Now, to complement this effort is the move towards more seamless and stronger port-to-ship interface at the Port of Singapore. In fact, the maritime industry is reaping this benefit of digital platforms such as the e-transaction portal, we call it the digital port at SG. Today, more than 600 shipping companies submit, track and receive port clearance approval for arrival and departure through the portal, saving the industry an estimated of 100,000 man hours per year. Now, beyond the digital port at SG, MPA goes further and advocates for digital ocean. Because a digital-enabled shipping platform that works in Singapore or just a few countries is insufficient. That's why the global supply chain thrives on the global connectivity. And there needs to be a global collaboration on digitalization for the benefits to be multiplied. So this vision is to link the different maritime single windows and maritime transport platforms of the world through the use of API or what we call the application programming interface and open or common data standards so that shipping companies do not need to submit hard copies or repeat data entries for port clearance, as well as other regulatory digital services at the global level. And in fact, we have just signed an MOU recently with five other port authorities and trade platforms providers. Now, to support the realization of TOS port ecosystem, there needs to be also uh, innovation activities. So to do that, we have three centers of excellence set up by MPA, SMI, and various universities in the area of maritime energy and sustainable development in NTU, Center for Next Generation Port in NUS, and Center of Excellence in Maritime Safety at the Singapore Polytechnic. These centers of uh, research will help to position our transport in a much more efficient way. That's great, Kenneth. Now, I wanted to think on the point where you mentioned about digitalization and innovations. So what are some of these technologies that MPA has been leveraging on and are looking to introduce? Could you share some examples? Definitely. Now, MPA works closely with the industry to examine how innovative technology can be adopted for future use. So maybe let me cite some examples. One is blockchain technology. For instance, we are working with other 
government agency, IMDA, Singapore Customs and the Industry, the Singapore Shipping Association, to trial the digitalization of the bill of lading or the electronic bill of lading and the development of interoperable standards. These bills currently need to be physically transferred and processed. So MPA has also explored the use of blockchain for specific certificates required by multiple parties in the ship registration process. Second area maybe is about 5G trials at our maritime drone estate. Now, M1 and Airbus, supported by RMDA and MPA, will also be conducting the flight trials within the Singapore Maritime Drone Estate, located at the Marina South Pier, for about a year from June 2020. While we can still use the 4G or LTE network, drones are already part of MPA's port operation for surveillance and incident response and management. A 5G network will enable real-time and higher speed connectivity and will enhance the potential of drone operation for a wider range of applications, such as the vessel hull inspection, illegal discharge for instance, or detection, search and rescue, situation awareness, or shore-to-ship delivery. Now, this use of technologies and autonomous systems, including drones, improved productivity and safety, of our human operator as well as the environment. So some of these are examples for you. Thanks a lot, Kenneth. That's very insightful. And I wanted to ask Don now, based on what Kenneth has discussed, it seems that a hallmark on the future of goods mobility is increasing connectivity, integration, and automation amongst others. So as the agency that's responsible for the long-term strategies that enhance Singapore's position as a global centre for business and innovation, I wanted to hear from you, how has EDB been supporting these initiatives and can you share with our listeners some examples? Uh, sure, thanks, Deshra. So you know, the EDB is involved in quite a few different master plans right, as part of our industry development for Singapore. And in particular for goods mobility, I think we're looking at two parts of the bigger picture. One is the mobility master plan, and the other one is the logistics uh, transformation map, right? And both of them come together to enhance our urban logistics network and our connectivity network, particularly for goods mobility. And our challenge is to achieve the highest possible uh, public shared and active transport mode share without increasing take and manpower. And specifically for goods, it's obviously to move freight in the most resource-efficient manner. There are a couple of things then that uh, fit very well with what we're trying to do with the broader logistics industry as well. In the areas of smart logistics, right? we're talking about autonomy, intelligence, electrification, um, and even sharing, right? And Kenneth talked about drones earlier, right? And mm -hmm. even in, in the case of parcel delivery uh, in Singapore, we are working with different partners in One North District, right? To trial drones for last mile parcel delivery. And this will fundamentally change the way we allocate resources, the way our workforce is organized right, to be more efficient, uh, more productive. We're also working very closely with different mobility players to innovate and to invest in different R&D on mobility solutions. So for example, uh, just last year, Bolori opened its innovation center B-Lab uh, in Singapore. And this B-Lab, the intent is to co-innovate with Bolori's customers and partners on various mobility solutions, which includes robotics, digital, and sustainability. 
Uh, and the lab will also partner with some of the local universities, right, to develop young talent uh, in the field of urban logistics solutions. So all in, you know, we are working across the board with different players and ecosystem with the companies directly on the innovation capacity, right, on how to be more efficient, more integrative, more connected in goods mobility, and also designing sandboxes, right, with different partners so that we can push the boundaries of what goods mobility will look like in Singapore uh, in time to come. Thanks, Don. And I wanted to pick on that point that you mentioned about working with mobility players and the ecosystem mm. itself. So how should the private and the public sector collaborate to accelerate digitalization and connectivity in goods mobility? And if I may expand on that question, who should take the lead, the public or the private sector? Yeah, that's a multi-million dollar question. <laughs> uh, and I think COVID-19 actually has brought to the fore, it's a strong reminder that um, everybody has a shared responsibility on the digitalization journey, right? Um, the private sector has their role to play and the public sector has our role to play. Uh, it's no longer just a good to have for everyone, right? And in our view, I think the private sector has the advantage of taking the lead on the technology front, right? And, you know, I mentioned earlier on some of the drone technologies, for example, right? But also for in areas like, for example, sensor networks, uh, R&D in different mobility areas, uh, companies like Continental, Grab, SWAT, these are all mobility players in various ways. Uh, they are investing in R&D and the technology push, a big part of it needs to come from the private sector because they're invested in day in and day out. On the public sector front, though, our role is to step in to convene different stakeholders around a problem statement where the individual players may not have found commonality to come together on their own. We also have the ability to design sandboxes for pilots and prototypes, and in fact, even share some of the initial risk if necessary, where the positive externalities are high. And so being an innovation-friendly place and opening public spaces for innovation test bits are actually a very important role for the public sector to play in driving the acceleration of digitalization, right? Uh, and added to that, a very positive forward-looking regulatory framework that will complement some of this digitalization that uh, we're trying to push will be important as well because there's no point putting out drones if the regulatory framework doesn't allow for the safe usage and the safe deployment of, of drones, for example. I would add one more thing in that as part of our journey in working with the private sector and the companies on digitalization, we found that while many companies acknowledge the need for digitalization, I think many are not sure where to begin. Right? And this actually spans the full gamut from small, medium-sized enterprises all the way to the big companies. And one of the initiatives that we rolled out about two years ago was the Smart Industry Readiness Index, or commonly known as Siri, but not the Apple Siri. This is the Singapore Siri. Right? Yeah. And it's a self-diagnostic tool that comes with a prioritization matrix. And we've got different business partners as part of this partnership, this consortium to work with the companies on where you might be on that digitalization journey vis-a-vis -vis everybody else in your industry, right? And what might you then prioritize next to start investing and how then you would use that as a benchmark of your journey forward. And that we find has given a platform, a base for which different companies can then now have a conversation about how do they get on this digitalization journey. Fantastic. On that note, the discussion that we've been having, you know, the adoption of new technologies and digitalization, we know that it brings along its own set of risks. So, Don, if I can expand from what you've just mentioned, how then should the ecosystem players deal with the issue of cyber risk and cybersecurity? 
Actually, on this particular point, uh, Kenneth and I will have a common interest because obviously one of the biggest cyber threats in the shipping industry right, was uh, not too long ago that really hit the headlines. And it really you know, opened up the vulnerabilities in having an interconnected world. And for us, cybersecurity has to move away from something just as a preventative measure to being a key enabler, core strategic investment and core strategy for the business going forward. It's not just a peripheral consideration, not just a good to have anymore. And I think our frame is that we are all going to be hit by security risk hacks, attacks in some form or other, right, on a daily basis. The question is how prepared are we to handle when it happens? And I wanted to share a really good example from DHL, where they established their Global Cybersecurity Center of Excellence in Singapore. And it's the first of its kind for the firm globally. And through this center of excellence, they are developing very critical security capabilities, which you would not have thought previously that uh, Air Express or a freight forwarder, a logistics player would have invested in, right? But it includes vulnerability management, advanced threat protection, cyber threat intelligence, there's an analytics platform that looks at that uses machine learning and AI to analyze security threat. And they've even appointed a chief information security officer to oversee this cybersecurity growth strategy. And I think this is a very good example of how cybersecurity has now become core central to the company's business strategy in order to be successful in order to grow. All right. And Kenneth, what about you? What are your thoughts on this? How should the ecosystem players deal with the issue of cyber risk and cybersecurity. Yes, and I totally agree with Don that this uh, cybersecurity, the capability uh, needs to be built as part of the whole organization down to every single one bearing a responsibility. In fact, we acknowledge that while digitalization is key for maritime sector to stay ahead, to kind of overcome technological disruption and ultimately thrive, but with such digital connectivity, threats to cybersecurity is, well, as they say, not a matter of what is, but when, right? But maybe outside how MPA adopts. Uh, we adopt a two-prone approach in managing cybersecurity risk. One is, of course, uh, early detection, monitoring, and analysis. And second one is, of course, quick response to ensure prompt recovery of services. So we, as Dawn mentioned, uh, we set up a 24 by 7 dedicated maritime cybersecurity ops center to counter potential cyber attacks on maritime critical information infrastructure. And uh, MPA also builds key data linkages between this center and our port operation control center in order to respond to cyber incidents. So in a more timely and holistic manner. So I think it is important that this cybersecurity is treated with uh, great importance and focus in the whole organization. All right, and Kenneth, I wanted to expand on that. I just wanted to understand as well, we see many organizations from various industries adopting cutting-edge technologies. So what should leaders from maritime organizations prioritize in order to ensure seamless integration of technologies into the industry? Yes, uh, and I have to agree with Dawn again. <laughs> she cited this uh, theory, and I think that is a very important one because for one, an understanding of an organization's digital maturity would be very important. It's almost like, you know, before you take on a health fitness program, you know you have to go through yourself and do a health check. 
to know where you are, how healthy, and what kind of uh, muscles you are going to grow or what kind of weight you're going to lose. So this is important. This is also where Marine Time, we also did what we call the Digitalization Acceleration Index together with IMDA. It is a sector-wide to allow our sector uh, Marine Time companies to kind of benchmark their maturity level. And then out of that maturity level, then the Marine Time Digitalization Playbook comes into play because knowing where you are heading and where you are now, it helps the company to understand the landscape and provide examples of technology use cases and the potential impact. So then the company's leader can now choose. Is it to prioritize the limited resources on customer engagement? Or is it more important to look at the operation excellence? Or is it to look at the safety or data analytics aspect? So there are different dimensions in which a company leader needs to look at. But importantly, is to have that conversation be conducted at the senior management level or even at the board level to chart out a roadmap for the company so that this becomes a plan in which they can execute and they know that they are having the end in mind. Another resource that we have is the Sea Transport Industry Digital Plan. And this, as Don mentioned, is a you know organization, whether you're small, medium or large, you need to be able to be ready for this digitalization. The Sea Transport IDP is really providing the SME in agency, hovercraft, and soon could be for bunkering with a step-by-step guide on the digital solution they can adopt. So these are more off the shelf that you can quickly adopt and you at each stage of their growth. They can also tap on, of course, uh, some funding support from government to offset some of the adoption costs. So I think these are some of the ways in which a company can now focus, especially uh, during this COVID time, due to the resource constraint and budget constraint. It is important to have a roadmap and focus on the right areas to excel. Thanks, Kenneth. And it's very timely that you brought up the topic of uh, COVID-19 because I wanted to move that conversation towards that right now. And I wanted to really understand from the both of you, how has the COVID-19 situation affected the implementation of new innovations and digitalization initiative? Don, maybe we'll start off with you. How has your agency been working with logistics players, for example, in addressing this? And actually, what what we've seen is that COVID-19 has accelerated the investments and the plans in innovation and in digitalization. Uh, and where uh, the EDB has worked with the rest of the industry at large to keep things going during COVID-19, um, a couple of things. So one is in ensuring that there's continued trade flow. Right. So when the world shut down, actually, at the earlier part of the year, there's a huge part of Singapore's air cargo capacity that's actually reliant on passenger belly holds. And obviously, when, when the flight networks all shut down, um, it had a huge impact on our cargo flow. But that was not going to keep us back. And we ensured that through Singapore Airlines, through other players like FedEx, DHL, UPS, we secured direct air links between Singapore and 60 other cities globally for cargo, right? And this, so this makes sure that actually all the stuff that now we've ordered on e-commerce continues to be able to arrive, right? But at that point, we're looking at critical medical supplies, PPE, masks, right? Things that were critical for the frontline. And that was important, that logistics flow and that trade links to uh, continue operating. We've also worked with Singapore Airlines, obviously, as our national carrier, right? To maintain a minimum air connectivity to uh, ensure critical passenger flight routes 
uh, are maintained. And now you've seen that starting to recover in some in some manner slowly, right? And when the borders were were first uh, closed earlier in the year, right? We worked very closely with the third-party logistics players to help ensure that the workers that they needed, the employees that they needed, that were crossing the border, for example, with Malaysia, right, were still able to come in and to work. And we worked with the different agencies to ensure the uninterrupted flow of cargo vehicles, right, across the border. Because there's a lot of trade that comes between Singapore and Malaysia on our bridges, and a lot of it is... It's obviously food supplies, uh, daily supplies, but also um, a lot of the exports coming from our manufacturing facilities also come through those bridges. So it was important for us to ensure that that connectivity and what was being effected on the ground was still smooth flow as far as we could. And Kenneth, what about you? How has your agency been working in ensuring goods continue to flow to and from Singapore? Yeah, like Don mentioned, right, the COVID really kind of disrupted the whole supply chain. So in a few layers, that's how we, we kind of approach this issue. First, we make the port of Singapore remain open, you know, amidst the COVID outbreak. Because as a global hub port and the leading international maritime center, we must ensure that our cargo operation and the provision of essential maritime services continue. So in fact, the sea cargo sector has remained relatively resilient during this time. This uh, includes really a whole range of maritime services like bunkering, shipbroking, ship management, legal advisory. They were not disrupted. So I think that was the first step that we do to ensure the safety and the resilience of the port. Secondly, we forge partnership with other like-minded ports. Uh, who are committed to keep their ports open to seaborne trade to facilitate the flow of essential supply to people around the world. That is very important. So we kind of share the practices, what we do. And in fact, we have a joint declaration with 50 other port authorities. Then the third area that we work on is new working models. Because these are important to be adopted in the marine time due to uh, the safe distancing measures. Right. So, for instance, uh, this includes like remote ship inspections and surveys. So, instead of people going on board the ship to inspect, now do it remotely. We do telehealth solution for our seafarers. So, instead of arranging doctors to go on board, so clinic assessment can be done via real-time videos and using endpoint devices. So, these are just examples in which new working models need to be adapted. But moving forward, I think we foresee greater digitalization and automation in the area of maritime operation for resiliency. These are examples in which we need to use greater digitalization to overcome and be ready for future disruptions. Thanks, Kenneth. And building on the points that you just mentioned, besides the setbacks and hardships caused by COVID-19, just as both of you mentioned, a crisis can also become a catalyst for change. So I wanted to ask the both of you, and perhaps we'll start with you first, Dawn. Do you have any final advice for organizations and leaders in goods mobility seeking to emerge stronger after the pandemic? As we like to say, don't waste a good crisis, right? And I feel like that's sort of been tended around quite a bit. And we still stand by that. 
I think maybe three areas that you know highly encourage companies in good mobility to continue to invest in, right? Uh, even as we get through this current pandemic. The first one is to embrace digitalization. And you know, Dishraf, we spent quite a bit of today's podcast talking about uh, digitalization in various forms. And um, COVID-19 really has fast-tracked the, the criticality and the importance of being digitally enabled from the baseline all the way to the top. And with remote working here to stay in some shape or form, at least, there is that importance of making sure that the systems, the processes, the handovers between different players in the system, right, is smooth. And the benefits of this digital led world is, is very clear. I think we can all see the future. So it's really about making sure that nobody gets left behind as part of this. The second piece is around innovation. And, you know, in Singapore, we talk a lot about innovation, right? And again, you know, in a post-COVID-19 world, there will be a lot of new ways, new modus operandi. It's not the same world that we left behind um, at the start of 2020. And whether it's about strengthening your supply chain resilience in, in preparation for future crisis, developing new solutions, changing business models, and in some cases, even just baseline transformation, be more competitive. I mean, now is the time to do it. Now is the time to push the envelope uh, in order not to be displaced. Right? And at the broader government, we really encourage companies to uh, push the boundaries on innovation because that's the only way that a knowledge-driven economy like Singapore will continue to be competitive, continue to stay relevant. Uh, and linked to the, those two points is about focusing on training um, and capability development. Right? It is important to continue investing in people. Yes, automation will come. Yes, digitalization will, will make us more effective and productive uh, in many layers of the work we do. But at the end of the day, you always still need good people, good talent, right? And it is important then to invest in that capability training uh, today, particularly in the growth areas like we, sp we spoke about in cybersecurity, in big data analysis, AI, machine learning, because all this will contribute to, say, you know, more sophisticated supply chain management, more sophisticated integrated mobility solutions. And without investing in those uh, skill sets now, companies actually risk being left behind when they come out of this pandemic. Thanks, Don. I definitely agree with all the points that you mentioned. Kenneth, what about you? Do you have any final advice for organizations and leaders looking to emerge stronger after the pandemic? Well, I think I agree also with Don's point that was all very relevant and useful. Uh, maybe I'll just add one point, which is the culture. So leaders need to now start to look at COVID and uh, situation as an opportunity to maybe change the culture, you know, within a company uh, in looking at innovation and digitalization. You know, in the past, maybe many organizations may think that, well, digitalization, we can still, business is as usual, you know, our partners are still working, doing business with us. They, they kind of like put on hold some of the digitalization plan. But I think the culture now needs to be more adaptable and embrace this innovation. Maybe the people on the ground for safety and for better operation, they have wonderful ideas. And leaders need to hear these ideas about how the operation may be changed. As Don mentioned, the new business model that they work with their partners, their suppliers, their customers, that actually requires a lot of leadership change as well. Okay, fantastic. And now I want to wrap up the discussion. I've been having such a great conversation and great insights from the both of you. And Don, I wanted to ask you something a bit more personal here. 
What are you most excited about when it comes to the possibilities that may arise from digitalization of the goods mobility in the near future? You know, I thought quite hard about this, right? And, um, you know, it's really about the crystal ball in the future. And I was just thinking, can you imagine a Singapore where we never see a, a driver at a vehicle ever again, uh, especially for cargo, for example, or even a Singapore where you never see goods vehicles uh, on the road again. And that fundamentally shifts all the planning parameters that we have for Singapore's urban mobility, but also our entire city planning network. And, you know, we are actually thinking about an underground inter-estate goods mover system. But think about all the integration that needs to happen at both from the physical infrastructure, but also on the systems and software infrastructure. How do we plan how the goods would move underground, right? And on top of that, we're already looking at autonomous vehicles in transportation. There is investment into looking at autonomous vehicles for cargo, uh, but obviously because the weight load is much higher, there needs to be a lot more technology advancement that needs to happen and that to be able to do that at scale. But that, to me, is the way to go forward, given the demographic profile of Singapore, given the resource constraints of Singapore, right? These innovations, and if we're able to do that at scale, it will fundamentally change the way Singapore operates it will change the way that Singapore is perceived and how we can bring that to the rest of the world. Uh, Kenneth, moving to you as well, what are you most excited about for the future of the maritime industry? Well, I would say that maybe if one, I would think that I'm excited about the opportunities for our future generation of uh, maritime colleagues because I would say that, uh, as Don mentioned, you know, many of these technologies are also happening in maritime, whether it's autonomous vessels for better safety, you know, of crew on board, IoT, the shipping and the maritime industry are evolving in such a way that there are now more automation, more safety. So it kind of opened up the opportunity for new talent, for newer generation of colleagues coming into the maritime. And with them, with new ideas and innovation, they can really come into the marine time, integrate marine time into the supply chain, making it even seamless, making supply chain more green and sustainable because the whole decarbonization effort is actually a very big agenda in the marine time besides digitalization. So I'm just excited to see maybe new faces, more talent into marine time. Well, that's all the time we have for this episode. I want to thank both Kenneth and Don for their interesting perspectives on the future of goods mobility and how technology will play a paramount role. In the meantime, if you want to comment on this podcast or the topics covered, you can send us an email at cpodcast at deloitte.com. That's spelled S-E-A podcast at deloitte.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast to get the latest episodes. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. I am Dishraf, and until next time. Music